0: Hello, and welcome to the Browns' Blitz. Today is Sunday, April 25th. I'm your host, Rod Bloom, and we have four days until the NFL draft. I'm kind of excited. Uh, you know, this is usually a big day for the Browns, but my guest today, uh, I think it's probably a bigger day for him every year. Uh, joining me is Thor Nystrom Thor, are you calling?
1: Things are going well, Rod. It's it's good to be with you. It's a very busy time of the year, but uh, certainly the best time of the year. So I'm I'm not complaining.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're you're pretty well booked, solid this time of year. So I really appreciate it. Um, let, let's get your let's get your information out there right off the bat. Uh, people can find I think pretty much all your stuff on, on your uh, on your Twitter account. That's at Thorku, and you are. You're with NBC Sports Edge, the lead college football and draft analyst. You do some stuff for Roto World, too, right?
1: Well, so NBC Sports Edge is what Roto World used to be. They just changed the name, basically.
0: Okay, I got you. Okay. Okay. And anybody who's not following you and checking your stuff out, and you know, I I sound like a fanboy here, but I love your writing, and I just want to get that out. I think I said the same thing a lot you know, last year, um, you know, some guys, some guys uh, write about draft prospects and, and it's kind of like reading like a, a, uh, you know, like a, a manual for a car, you know, this guy is fast and he tackles well and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you're like a color commentator <laughs> I'm about Guys, and it's entertaining. It's, it's good, fun reading too. So I just, you know, I, I like the, I like the style that you're writing on.
1: I really appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot. Um, the The writing of it is, you know, it, it's an aspect of it that uh, I guess I should say I, I agree with you. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, in terms of a lot of uh, trapped writing, I don't want to I don't want to trash by industry, but uh, like, but yes, you know, the we're not naming any
0: names. Yeah. We're
1: not gonna name names. But the 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 scouting reports where it's like it's at extremely dry. Um, you're sort of the, the I, I think I've even made this joke on Twitter, but it's like you know, it's like guys that are essentially trying to do like a a 20 minute Ernie Adams dialogue, you know, like the, the you know, or, or money ball for, for those people that are, are more with, with the, with the movie buddy ball, like when the scouts are you know, it's like the, the really yeah. gritty tobacco laced, you know, sort of uh, scout language. And I, yeah. I just think, yeah, the, it, it becomes dry. Number one, especially if you read a bunch of one guy's things, cause typically they don't uh, change up the language with that. Um, you know, it, it, it's dry and it's, it's written in such a way that I feel that it, it, it disqualifies a part of the audience. Um, so, so, so though, you know, that's to that. And then, you know, the, the other thing I'd say is like, um, I, I like telling stories, you know, and, um, you know, in the the little capsules, you know, sometimes you have the space, where sometimes you have, sometimes I have to take the space. You know, if if I want to tell a story, and sometimes I'm able to, um, you know, to to do something, you know, specifically just with the the player story, you know, just, um, mm-hmm. stretch it out a little bit, and then sometimes I, um, just because I I find myself wanting to write about it, like, um, I, I go a, a different direction. For instance, in my uh, my safety rankings this year, uh, Jamar uh, Johnson from Indiana uh, is a really interesting kid, and. I felt that um, Jamar Johnson's essentially that his rise and his um, you know in, in in the draft community and everything like that and his rise as a player, it eerily echoed the rise of the school that he came from, Indiana. Um, and he he would sort of. Um, was, was sort of a cynic doge for the, you know, Indiana's uh, program rise as a whole, you know, they, sort of yeah. representative of the whole story where uh, Jamar Johnson was this, this overlooked three-star recruit uh, from Florida. He was like yeah. an athletic, you know, a, a sort of a guy, but anyway, uh, Tom Allen, that's, that's all he, <laughs> Tom Allen either takes local Indiana kids or else he, he goes after these high flyer, Um, Or these, you know, these these high risk, high reward kind of toolsy kids in in Florida that got overlooked, um, because that's where he started his coaching career. And so, anyway, you know, it's just like situations like that. I, I like to you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself to, you know, to be able to tell a story like that. So I, I got a little bit into the Tom Allen rebuild at Indiana as well, you know, in that capsule, but it is something that, you know, either way I, I, I try to put some time into, um, cause you know, I mean, like really what you're trying to do is like for the average reader, you're trying to, uh, you know, give them a, a picture in their head, right? Like, you know, I, I do right. a bunch of comps, you know, like the, the point of, a I, I like comps. Some of the people don't like them. an NFL agent texted me a day or two ago. I, maybe it was yesterday when I put out my five. Board. He's like I fucking hate comps, um, but it, you know, it's I was like, "Hey man, I I work in a, di- a different industry than you." And uh, when I was a fan, I respectfully disagreed. I definitely respectfully disagree now. You know, and there's a, a whole lot of people that like comps, but it, you know, the, the idea of them is a you put a totem into someone's head that someone that's not familiar, you know, with that player, and then you know, with the you know, the capsules, I, I get an opportunity to go a little bit deeper and hopefully. Um, you know give you a real idea of of who that kid is and and also of course who he is as a
0: player yeah i mean i i know with your comps you're not saying that 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 player is the same guy i mean you're just you're picking somebody who you think is pretty close to him right exactly yeah you know and there's
1: you know there's they're different um you know some of them are different you know sometimes it's Uh, you know, the the closest thing that I can think of, it's more of a higher end comps, you know, some of them, some of the times it's it's more, you know, apples to apples. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, you're going more uh, athletic trait based in conjunction with a projection of like, this is how I see this guy's career going. Like, i.e., like, but, you know, but beneath like 250, you know, like on a, on a board, like mm-hmm. basically all of those guys, no one else in the industry has comps on ex- except for me. And, and yeah. a, a part of the reason why it, it, it's not just like, it's not that they haven't watched them. They most, they most certainly have but the, the hard thing comps get really really hard at that point because again the whole point of a comp is to put a totem in the reader's head but by definition me you know rating these guys as UDFA's I am telling you that I don't think he's going to have much of an NFL future so so you become in this you get into this you know very narrow sort of space where it's like I can't say that you know a guy that I rank 300 I can't comp him to You know, a a guy that was a first round pick and had a 10 year career. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? But also it can't be so esoteric that the, you know, the, you know, like, um, sort of like, a someone that knows the subject very well that, that, you know, that, that they wouldn't even be, you know, you don't want to disqualify anyone from that. And, and, and that, the, you know, super duper esoteric comes not, not only is the average person not going to know who they are, but, you know, even people that are like really well acquainted with this might not. So, so you have to give, uh, a name that uh, you know you you would hope that at least a percentage of of your readership base may be familiar with, um, and, and so yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a challenge. It, it it is a challenge. You know, this year I did over six hundred of them, um, and so it it is, but it's 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 very fun. It, you know for, like because c- I you know I've always dorked out about this stuff, so for me it's it it's actually really fun. Like you know going through like you know, the, the fucking kickers and the punters and, and try to find cops for them, But that, you know, I, um, I'll give you just one example of this. Like some of the, the comps are easier, you know, they, they, they come out quicker. Um, some of them, I, uh, I don't like where, um, you know, the options I have, let's just say, and uh, I, I'll go a little bit deeper. Um, and so uh, there's a kid named Calvin Ashley uh, in this class. He's an offensive tackle from Florida A&M, but he was a five-star recruit that went to Auburn and he could have gone literally anywhere he wanted to. And he bought boston um you know he, he couldn't get on the field there um they couldn't trust him and he ended up going to, to florida a&m um but anyway like i i wanted that his comp not just to recognize the um you know physical dimensions and the you know you know the athletic profile aspect of it um i, I also wanted it to um you know, not at the fact that he was this ballyhooed kid that had busted, you know, you know, again, like, uh, um, yeah. told him, I, I told him in, in some of my, now there's not many people I think that are, you know, that, that will see the name that I comped to, you know, and, and what, you know, as far as that, but there are some that will, I, I comp him to a kid named Ken Perkins. I ended up comping him to that. I, I called a buddy uh, who used to be a GA for a FCS program And has a bunch of, he's, he's like, goes even deeper than college football than me. Like he, I'd be like truly obsessive about it. And he has all these connections and, you know, the coaching industry, whatever. And anyway, I ended up having a 30 to 30 minute to an hour call with him going through Google, trying to find the, the, the most perfect comp for kelvin ashley that was a five-star offensive tackle bust of the past decade <laughs> and we settled on kent perkins who was a five-star bust from texas and he got a cup of coffee in the nfl which qualified him i you know i think for you know as far as yeah. this goes to, to provide that so anyway it it's fun it's fun it is uh, you That's know
0: cool. yeah anyway so how was uh was this year more challenging for you with the with COVID and the opt-outs and guys playing less games, or was it just, uh, was it just working with the information you had and kind of just like any other, any other season?
1: Uh, definitely both. The, the um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you do just work with the information that you have, but the, you know, the, the aspect of it that that's tougher, it's like, um, the, the more information, the more quantifiable data that you have on a, a prospect, the, the clearer your you know your vision is going to be of him, right? Um, but it's yeah. like you know th- this class we have by far the least uh, last season of college tape of any draft class before it. I mean you know not even close, right? And the yeah. the prospect's last season of college tape is the most important piece of data that they give to the NFL. And so having by far the the least of the the most important uh, data, uh, it has. This sort of effect like when you're evaluating these kids of like whereas before you get a clear vision when, when you when you see a kid for 40 games and you know you, you have all the data on them and some of these kids in this class it's like being at the the eye doctor when they're they're toggling the different lenses on you you know and to you know wh- mm-hmm. which one looks clear and and some of these guys in this class are they're blurry not for me but for everyone right for, even for NFL right. teams again because of the the less information um and so what that does is to set a draft board by definition, you have to be presenting a sort of clarity about, I mean, it's sort of your final assessment of where this kid is, no matter how little information, like Trey Lance, I, I got him six overall or something like that. He's the mm-hmm. most historically inexperienced uh, first round quarterback that, that is, will ever exist. And, you know, he only had 17 FCS starts in his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah. y- you know, you have to go off the information that you have, and then you have to, to get to that clarity, you have to make that, projection right that you know or guess you know is it, is it but you know calculated you know uh, well reasoned you know uh, projection um and and so there's more of that going on in this class than there ever has before again because of the dearth of that that last season and so it it definitely made things more interesting
0: let's just say that yeah so how how do you rate this class as far as uh you know overall compared to other classes um strengths weaknesses You know, is is this a is this a strong draft class? Is it strong in certain positions? Um, You know, how many rounds deep you think this is for, you know, potential starters in the NFL? What's your overall thought on this class?
1: Yeah, I I don't see this class as particularly deep, you know, and like I I wouldn't describe it that way in in conjunction with other classes. But the way that I think of it is this class is extremely top heavy, especially in offensive firepower. And, you know, that's why when you look at mocks, you don't see the first defender off the board until, you know, nine or 10 or or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. because we got, you know, we got several high caliber quarterback prospects. And then you have sort of three just like, um, you know, guys that not only stand on top of their position, but they would if you went back uh, a couple years, you know, in the offensive position, Penny Sewell, Kyle Pitts, uh, Jamar Chase. And so just a lot of artillery there. Um, and, you know, just going through the positions, like, you know, offensive tackle, I think is solid through the, the second round. Um, so, so that's pretty good position that the receivers, we got the three headed monster at the top um, mm-hmm. through, I mean, it, this is another good receiving class. It, you know, last year, there was a lot of hyperbole about that one, you know, best receiver, you know, and, and we'll end up seeing where that receiver class ends, but this one is very close to that. It, you know, it's similar in that you have the, the three headed monster and then, the second tier is pretty strong, too. And, it you know, it, it's strong, in my opinion, you know, until the UDFA's, I, I think there's going to be a couple UDFA receivers that sign this year that um, are, are going to make an impact in the NFL. But, you know, probably a small handful of them. So, you know, that's another good one, too. I, I think where it's weaker is um, some of the interior positions that the interior offensive line class, depending on how many tackles you shove into it. Um, it it's just OK. You know, it's, it's just an OK class. The interior oh. defensive line class is a bad class um you know you only have one uh, sort of tier one guy and he, he's lower than you know what that guy would typically be the number one dl guy uh, in barmore and then you know yeah. there, in my opinion there's a drop off after barmore and then there's i mean like the tiers drop really quick in that one I, this is not a good year to you know to go after that it's not great in the edge either um it's okay if you want to you know uh, throw a dart on a project there, there's a lot of athletes in the edge class but uh, not a ton of uh, proven college production um, and, you know, and then j- just going back, like, you know, cornerback, I, I think it- it's a solid class. Um, safeties is another sort of grab bag one. You know, there's yeah. going to be one or two stars out of that safety class. But you're going to have to decide at those top six, seven guys, What you know, who you think it's going to be. So I- I, top heavy class, but not the-, the deepest would be my one sentence summation.
0: OK, I get I'm going to kind of tie two things together here. I get a, a question from a uh, um uh, Matthew Lubbeck, and uh, that's at Matthew Lubbeck. and uh, his question is and it kind of goes to what you're just talking about. Um, should the Browns consider moving up? who would they um, who, who would the player be that they would move up for? And he's talking about it in the 20 you know at 26. And while we're talking about that, I kind of just want to talk in general Brown's strategy and kind of tie it to what you were just talking about the strength of this class. And the fact that the Browns are in a a win a win now uh, environment situation, to where, in my opinion, they're they're looking for they're look they're looking for two things. They're looking for maybe a couple guys who can contribute this season. But we know that most draft picks, you know, they're they're not going to come in, especially if you're picking guys second, third, fourth round, and you have a good roster. These guys are probably not going to contribute a lot until you know down the road so what what do you think the browns should do will do based on this draft class and and the the capital that they have
1: yeah i don't think there's any reason to trade up in there's in their spot um, and i don't think there's any impetus to outside of one very specific scenario which is that either um and the, the the most likely scenario of this would be um a micah parsons drop if Micah Parsons starts to uh, drop down the board, and you very well could, because um, off-ball off linebacker, first of all, obviously is a somewhat devalued position, and second off, Micah Parsons has off-field uh, concerns, you know, from from hazing incidents earlier on in his, his college career, which people can you know read about if they want to. Uh, but for those reasons, it's possible that Parsons could fall a little bit down. He ain't gonna fall to twenty-six, no way. But um, he, he's a guy who's like a, a top. I mean, he'd be a top six, top seven talent in this class. Were it not for that, you know, just in the vacuum of, uh, you know, ability. Um, and so if he falls, you know, it starts falling like into the mid teens um, or maybe even, you know, late teens, depending on what happens. Like, I think He's that would be 20.
0: Yeah. Somewhere exactly close to 20.
1: The, the, yeah. the one scenario, because then you don't have to like pony up, pony up. It, it, it's a, you know, it's one of those unexpected things where you could strike. Outside of that, I wouldn't do it. um You know, uh, you know, I assume that Parsons and Owusu-Koromo are going to be gone at that point. If I'm the Browns, I'm looking for front seven help on, on defense. You mm-hmm. can just sit back there on whether it's Barmore that falls, because Barmore might get there. Uh, actually, I did a live mock yesterday with a, a guy named Ray Garvin. Um, on the Pat Mayo show and Christian Barmore got to the the Browns in in what we were doing. Um, So there's a shot that he does. If not, I would probably just go out and get the best edge rusher that, that fell. And it's, there's four or five edge rushers that, that could justify first round slots, um, and but you know that are guys, some of them projectable, you know, kind of things where they're not complete uh, products yet. So uh-huh. you're going to be able to have an option of at least two of those guys. I, I doubt that four of them are gone by the time the Browns come up, but certainly you know whether it's two guys you get to choose from from that bucket or three, um, that's what it would be for me. Either those guys are Barmore.
0: I'm going to jump right into to the next question from LA Fred. It's at USC Fred, and that's how many picks will the Browns, uh, how many picks will the Browns make? And he says he's in favor of trading up uh, for a player or back. And he's obviously talking about other rounds too, up, up, up or back uh, in order to amass capital for, you know, for future, uh, for future seasons. So um so I guess the first question is, but you know, and that goes to to the Browns roster. And I've talked about this on the podcast with, with other people. I, I don't see the Browns drafting nine guys. I, they don't have room on the roster. But there's always a chance that they use some of these ladder picks to bring guys in to take a look at them. You know that you know uh, they're that picking the seventh round isn't worth anything. So you might as well draft somebody with it and bring bring somebody in. And if they don't make the team, that's no big loss. Um, but, uh, you know, how many picks do you think the Browns will make? And, um, do you think it's a smart move to, to move picks in the next, next season, next, uh, into the 22 draft, if they have that opportunity?
1: So did the Browns have, is it one extra third, one extra fourth, one yeah. extra fifth?
0: Uh, just an extra third and fourth. Yeah. So third they've got nine picks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I could I could definitely see uh, an argument for either, um, you know, using one of them uh, for a small trade up, you know, like like we were discussing before, one or two of them. Or um, the, the, the thing that I like about uh, the the late round picks, I would even try to accrue them because they are, you know, sort of just the, the you know, the low value sort of uh, trade currency. Um, but yeah. you, you get into scenarios in the seventh round where uh, a team really wants a kid that they don't think they're going to be able to sign in um, the UDFA process. This happens more yeah. behind uh, closed doors than, than I think people know. It, it actually got out, uh, what was it, last year with um, – uh, uh sean payton who the the, the saints are hilarious in, d- during day three of the draft because they always trade all their day three picks but they're yeah. really sneaky because then on saturday when the other teams are drafted they're calling all the the kids who are you know falling into the sixth and seventh round and you know trying to negotiate with them before the, the udfa process <laughs> even the over. yeah the, the draft's still going on and uh I, I think people do that you know the nfl that payton kind of did this because they've done this for a few years now and they always have really good udfa classes but uh, with um uh, not the taste, the the knockoff taste of him. he uh, uh, Tommy Stevens, the Mississippi State quarterback, uh, Peyton was talking to him on the phone, you know, during the seventh round and trying to convince him, you know, or maybe this was, you know, end of the sixth, was trying to convince him to sign with with the Saints if he if he didn't get drafted. And Tommy Stevens told him, um, if that happens, I'm going to sign with the Panthers because I, I don't know, they, uh, you know, they pitched him well or something like that. And Tommy Stevens had made up his mind. And uh, Sean Payton was like, no, side with us. Like I, you know, I'm the guy that did Taysom Hill. You're just like Taysom, like come here, I'll make you into Taysom. And Stevens was basically like, no. And so Sean Payton got off the phone and traded a sixth rounder next year to whatever team was on the clock. Um, you know, for their oh. late seventh round pick in order to take Toby Stevens, he, you know, and then he told reporters afterwards, like I, I, you know, I, I was done asking, and it, but he also just admitted to, uh, to breaking the NFL rule for the negotiation. But, but anyway, uh, th- this happens is, is the whole point that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make. So, um, you know, like that as far as the Browns go with, with, that stuff, you know, you do have a smaller amount of roster needs. I, I, I do agree with that. And so, um, you know, if, if you can get into a situation like that, where You you know, you can trade uh, a seventh for a future sixth, you know, a a sixth for a future fifth. Usually those opportunities are there or, you know, in in the the case of uh, poning picks up uh, to come up. But the the Browns are in a good spot, you know, with with the excess amount of picks and and the low amount of uh, roster holes for sure.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, reading some of your uh, some of the. the stuff you have out and some of the stuff you've co-written in that, um, some of it was done before the the Clowney and the, the Richardson moves, you know, signing Clowney and cutting Richardson. But, you know, that changes things a little bit, but I, I think most people already felt that the Browns were going to look at addressing the front seven in some way, you know, either in the first round or the second round. And that, um, you know, that one You know, either the first round or the second round would be would be a guy on the line, and that the other pick would probably be a corner. Um, That that was the that's kind of the general consensus, I think not not from everybody, but um, do you think do you think those two moves um, really change a whole lot for the Browns? I mean, I think there's talk about. uh, I mean, there's been questions asked about, you know, can Clowney play inside in this? I think the Browns have some flexibility, and they've got some other guys on the roster. So I think there's still some room for some other things to maybe move around a little bit. I don't think they're really pigeonholed into having to draft, you know, necessarily a defensive end or, you know, an edge guy or a defensive tackle necessarily.
1: For, for sure. Yeah. And I, I, should just say, um, thank you for, uh, reminding me of that. I, you know, during my comments, I, I forgot about the, the Clowney edition, um, which yeah. obviously mitigates the, 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 need for, you know, an edge rushing defensive end if, if nothing else. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Anyway, definitely. Well, less I, than, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I, think they I, have I to, forgot but, about that one.
0: yeah, but you know, um, Clowney and Tack McKinley are both on one year deals. So I think, I think if the right edge guy is there, I can still see the Browns drafting the right edge guy.
1: Yeah, you know, in in terms of, you know, perhaps the the need is, you know, no longer, you know, one of the the top needs that would require, you know, a first or even second day pick. But, you know, in that situation, you're you're the Browns probably want to use one of those picks in day three uh, for a developmental edge. And, you know, I was talking like at the top of the class, there's the projectable kids, you know, as, as far as like, you know, some Ron is there and certainly there is uh, lower on too. Um there's going to be a couple kids, uh, you know, sort of the projectable kids that haven't played as many games, but have a you know, solid ath- athletic profile that you could um, throw a dart on there. And I mean, what a situation for the kid coming in where you're, uh, you get to learn from Miles Garrett and, uh, Jadavian Clowney. I mean, like two guys that ostensibly this prospect grew up idolizing, you know, he might have posters of those two guys at his dorm room or whatever. So <laughs> it, it, that would be a cool situation for a kid. Co- it's sort of like a, you know, a, a poor man's Trey Lance with a, in the quarterback situation where, you know, he's got to sit behind someone for a year and th- that would be the kind of uh, edge guy that I, you know, if, if I was the Browns, you know, it'd be more of a, a, a mid round, you know, fifth round kind of a, a thing and we're going we're throwing the dart
0: on upside yeah it, it's pretty interesting because the browns have curtis weaver who was you know who they who they got for nothing um and was injured last season's i think i don't you know i don't know what uh um you know, I don't know if they're going to give him a shot, if they're just going to give him a look and see what he looks like. You know, I don't know how much of a chance he has to, to make the team. It's pretty much him and Porter Gustin for that fourth spot right now. So, if you know, if they draft a, a, a kid, you know, it, it depends. You know, it depends. Uh, we don't know how many linebackers are going to carry and all that stuff. So uh, very interesting to see what they're going to do there. But, sure. um, let, let's But uh, let's – sorry, I'm making all this noise here. Um let's talk, let's talk about some of the guys in the draft and I'm going to put out a little disclaimer here. Cause I've had a couple people, people get on me on prior draft shows. Um, that apparently some of the stuff I've said to some guests has made it sound like I was like kind of questioning the way they were evaluating people or something. Um, so I, I'm not the expert here. Thor is. So, um, if, if I if I ask you a question about the order you have, guys, in, it's just to get an explanation, it's not because I think I know better. <laughs> That's not for you and th- for everybody even, listening. <laughs> even
1: if it was that way, there's literally no offense taken. Like you know, it's, it's just my take. You know, like I don't have any ego with it. You know, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. defend it to you know give you the explanation. But yeah, no problem. Fire away.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's a few there's a few guys that you have ranked in in uh, order that you know, that's different from what I've seen other places. So I'm just kind of dying to know, you know, your, your thoughts on it and that. So, um, sure. you know, again, Edge, DT, and Corner is kind of what people have been thinking. But, I, you know, I can definitely see that changing. Um, I wanted to start with the Thor 500. And I love that. Number 26, you know who's at number 26 on your 500. It's none other than Zavin Collins, who has been mocked to the Browns a lot. And Collins is one of the guys that you've—I'll um, use this word because I can't find a better word—but that you've you've struggled with. Is that fair to to decide whether how good you think he is or not? In some ways, yeah, um, yeah. You know,
1: it's. Uh... I think, you know, when you um, when you watch him, when you think about him, um, you you in some ways want to see a guy that's just wrecking things. And you do see that sometimes. But the uh, the manifestation of it is is not so much, uh, you know, complete game record as as more of an all around, um, you know, really well fortified, solid athlete, you know, kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. So I see him in a lot of mocks going to the Browns at 26. Um, I've also seen him drop in at the second round in mocks. So, um, so I really don't know what to think. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of people in Cleveland would be thrilled to get this huge fast linebacker and because everybody's dying to get a linebacker in Cleveland because, it, because we really don't even know if Andrew Barry cares about, uh, taking a linebacker in this draft. Honestly, we don't know until this draft happens where, you know, what he thinks he needs right now. Um. It's so, so to me, I, I, you know, I, I can't wait for the draft anyways, but just, just to get a look at his board, uh, would be so interesting right now to know, you know, does he, does he have uh, JOK and Zayvon Collins and Micah Parsons? Are, are they near the top of his board? You know, or, are they like, are they down ways, You know, is he not even really, you know, are they not, uh, not important enough to him? You know, um, but, you know, yeah, I wanted to get your thought on uh, Zayvon Collins. You, now, um, at linebacker, you're, uh, your top linebacker is JOK. And people who uh, I know everybody's familiar with him who follows the draft because he's probably going to be. How high do you think he's going to go? Is he going to be a top top 10 pick?
1: No, I don't think, not quite, but he's in play for anywhere outside of that. You know, I, I think that's where he starts to to get in play. But I, I, I would be very surprised if he went in the top ten. Is he?
0: What's the chances that he gets down close to 20 then and the Browns try to trade up for him?
1: I think it's pretty low. I, I think he's going to go, um, his alley is in the teens, you know, somewhere. Um, you know, and, and who knows, he, he could end up, he's not going to go 12 because the Eagles are going to take um, – um, one of the alabama receivers presumably but um you know i mean like starting in the teens for sure i think is his alley and if if he fell to the end of the teens um that's where i would try to
0: strike okay so so if, if you're looking at these linebackers it, say the Browns do want a linebacker in the first round which would which would make sense um how, how much of a drop-off do you feel there is between, you know, when you go J.L.K., Micah Parsons, David Collins, uh, and and then to Davis?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, I'm going to call him Wu, call uh, Wu, okay. It's, yeah, that's what they call him in Notre Dame. Uh I think I'm I'm probably higher on Wu than anyone else because I, I, I think everyone else has Parsons as, as linebacker one. I I do see it as, as pretty close, but I I do prefer Wu. Um, he can do uh, more things, particularly coverage. He's very good in coverage, but he's also absolutely hit man in the in the box. Um, but he's one of those those chess piece uh, you know kind of fellas, and he comes with no off field. Uh, Issues. He he is the opposite, um, and so the you know I feel like I have more cost certainty there with a more versatile player. Um, he doesn't have the insane you know the the speed score sort of a thing. You know, like I mean Parsons is an enormous human being with. Crazy north south uh, explosion in speed, um, but you know again with with Wu it's it's he can do he can do it all um, and there's there's no off field stuff he's actually going to help our our locker room so but you know those two guys close you know tier one kind of a thing and then you know that's where where there's a drop off of course um, and then you know going down to like you know Zaven we, we we talked about Zaven uh, Jamon Davis is right there um, with him like right right in the same range you know he's his evaluation reminded me a bit of, of Willie Gay, uh, from the season before, uh, you know, a kid coming out of the sec that, um, limited snaps that we had seen him, but a crazy athlete, um, who had flashed, um, you know, numerous things, but, um, had shown that the athleticism, um, translated to coverage chops. And so he reminds me a lot. He's basically Willie Gay without the you know, without the uh, the, the off-field shooting. stuff, exactly. Yeah. He Like Jamon Davis, as far as I know, would ever punched a quarter his quarterback during a game, you know, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it was, <laughs> with Willie Gay, I forget the kid he punched out of his yeah, yeah, I don't remember.
0: I know he did something like that. Yeah, he, he had a lot of things. That.
1: But Yeah, and then Jabril Cox is, is a kid that I like a lot. Um, for for me, he's a no doubt uh, second rounder and like you know, middle of the second round or so. You know, um, again. It's, it, it's a You have a very, very good athlete um, who is really good in coverage. Uh, Jabril Cox, you know, outside of Wu, might be the best coverage linebacker in in this class. Um, and the other thing I like about him is, um, you know, th- this is unlike Jamin Davis, but again, you know, the c- circumstances were sort of out of his control w- with this stuff. He did dominate in 2020, but uh, with Jabril Cox, it was he dominated over four years. Um, three of them was in the FCS with North Dakota state, the best, uh, FCS program in the nation. And then last season, I assume because he knew he was going to be going pro and he wanted to, you know, assuage the, you know, people, the, the talking point of, Oh, he, this was just in the FCS. So he went to LSU, um, and he was fabulous again. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I see him again as, you know, a top 45 type top 50 type prospect.
0: Yeah. So, um, or was I gonna go next? Oh, um, let let let's talk about edge, okay? Um, and I know I know you said that, and, and I think uh, I think most people agree with you. This the edge class there's not uh, there's not a bunch of guys who who appear to be sure things or you know um, you know who look like they're going to come in and dominate right away or, or you know um, but you have you have Jalen Phillips ahead of, of of Quiddy pay, which is, which is unusual. Okay. Most, m- most everybody has Quiddy pay one. And then, um, you know, I don't know if they have Jalen Phillips necessarily second or not. Um, I, I would say most of them probably have Jalen Phillips two, And then, you know, um, Ogilari's up there at two or three. And some of these other guys are, are up there. Um, with, uh, I want to know, um, and I know there's I know there's very positive things about Jalen Phillips, but with with the concussions and that, um, explain your your rationale for why you have him at Juana. And I know the I know the guy's good.
1: Yeah. So um, I think what you're looking at is Eric Froton's. Um, his because Eric Froton did our, our IDL and our Edge uh, capsules this year, and he had Jalen Phillips one. Um, I have Quidi Pay one. I have them very okay.
0: Cool. Okay, yeah, I, I looked at the wrong article then.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah. so right. and that was a part of our, you know, our, our series or whatever. But he took, uh, you know, the trenches this year on on the defensive side. But yeah, um, if, if you take like, so my, um, I put the position ones out. Like, I, I just have pay like barely above uh, Phillips. Like for me, they're they're extremely close. And in fact, if Phillips did not have the the, the concussions that you were talking about, he would be my one. It, it's just a thing where I. I you know I, I took him back a, a few notches because of that because um, it's it's actually legit it's a legit it, it's, an, it's not something to laugh at it's a legitimate concern he he had yeah. a, a concussion you know earlier in his career and then he had a scooter accident when he was at UCLA he was a you know top five overall recruit and you know it's ever you know the, so so what happened at UCLA at that point was their their doctors medical, medically disqualified him <clears throat> so Jalen Phil, Phillips actually retired from football like a couple years ago and then he yeah. changed his mind he transferred to Miami and this. This past year in particular, you saw um, the reason you know, what the recruiting analysts were seeing in him. You know, it's just, you know, like it's, it's like a body built from God for an edge rusher and then high, mm-hmm. high octane athleticism. And he's also very clever. You know, he, he's a long kid that lo- uses length well, but he's also got, um, you know, the counter moves and and, and, and everything like that. Like he's, he's got tricks in his bag for no matter what happens. Um, And and so he's a kid where if if I knew that uh, the concussion issues were not going to crop up the rest of his career and, you know, he played, he was fine, you know, at at Miami. Um, If I knew that he was going to be fine going forward, uh, he would be my, my edge one. But just because of, um, you know, that thing, I I put him just ever so slightly behind Quiddy pay.
0: Yeah. So we've talked about the Browns situation at edge and, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but if, the right guys there at 26, who could that be? Which of these guys that, that is sitting there at 26 is too much for the Browns to pass on? Um, I'm assuming that, that Pay and maybe Phillips, they, they both might be gone. I, I would think for sure one of them is going to be gone by 26, if not both.
1: Yeah, if, if either of those guys are there, I, I submit that card immediately. I Those guys okay. should not be there at, at 26. The, and Ujolari, um, he's four for me of the edge guys, but you know, looking at mock drafts, it, it looks like people think he's not going to be available either. Um, so that that one's kind of iffy. Um, Jason Oway and Gregory Rousseau, though, um, there's a decent shot that you know both of them are there. You know, certainly there's a hundred percent chance that at least be, at least one of them would be. Um, and those are guys where you know they have differing uh, sort of quite like always more of like the the Daniel Hunter uh, kind of evaluation where it's like, man, this, this kid's got a crazy body. He's got long arms and he's a freak athlete and everything like that. But, you mm-hmm. know, like with, with Hunter coming out of LSU it's like, where were the sacks, you know, where, where was the production, you know? And so th- that was the only reason that he fell and it's pretty similar with Owe, you know, it's, it's you know, extremely similar where it's like, where was the production. Right. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of the ceiling, he's, he's about as high as anyone in, in this edge class. And then with Rousseau, it, it's sort of the opposite way Um where it's he had one dominant year at Miami he opted out in 2020 that that dominant year it was his first, you know first year starting a course and he'd been a high school wide receiver and safety you know but he's he just so happens to be 6'7" 266 now um you know as an athletic kid obviously but you know that was his first year playing edge rusher and you know again that the production was there but um some of it he got um he, he got lucky you know essentially where you know his teammate Phillips you know or whatever was like he, he would get guys rushed into him where you know he could just oh, sort yeah. of Gobble up the sack. Um, some guys have the opposite issue, you know, where they, they consistently get penetration, but on their reps that, you know, for whatever reason they just don't get the quarterback down. Russo that season had a very high percentage of sacks for like the his pressure rate against um, and so like, you know, there's that thing, but you know, I mean, like it was a guy that had a F ton of sacks in his one year starting at, you know, a high level and he's a skyscraper that can bend, which is, you know, pretty rare. You know, he's, he's, he's a good, you know, he's a 77 percentile athlete overall, but like for those really tall guys out there, that's the one thing you're concerned about is like a stiffness that, that will allow like, you know, the high end, athletes that, you know, in the NFL, at tackle just to shut them down, you know, as a matter of course, you know, because they just can't, you know, even if they, they could get a step they're they're not gonna be able to you know fold the edge there you know crease it like origami or whatever uh, but, but this kid he he doesn't have that problem um you're just gonna have to teach him a lot of things because he's so raw but i, I think yeah. you know both those guys wouldn't be out of uh, place late first round
0: is is rousseau a guy that if he put more weight on would could play inside or no do you see him as just a strictly an edge guy
1: I believe even Miami had reps where he was rushing from the interior, because um, they also did this with Phillips, um, you know, where they, they would move him in, and, like, Russo had that same kind of uh, multifaceted uh, skill set where he becomes a real problem for um, interior guys, you know, because of some of these things, so, yeah, I, I absolutely do think that, and it, it's you know, Russo has one of the, you know, he's a young kid, of course, he has one of these, like, you know, not only the skyscraper frame, but it's a real rangy, you know, wide build. Um, mm-hmm. I could absolutely see him put in In fact i would be stunned if he did not put on wage in 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 the nfl um he's he is a well-built uh human being and defender for sure
0: nice nice so let's move on to to corner because i think if uh if the browns don't go in linebacker i think the i think the guesstimate would be that they they would go corner and i know they've got some corners but you can never have too many corners and uh with this corner class Man, if one of these guys is there at, at twenty six, I mean, if the right guys there for them, um, the name the name I the name that's in a lot of mocks is Greg Newsom. So why don't you give me kind of your your top four or five guys just to make sure that that your list is the same as the one in front of me, and tell me who you think might be there at twenty six or at uh, yeah twenty six for the Browns.
1: Yeah, so yeah, um, my, so Sertan for me is is clearly uh, cornerback one. Um, And then, you know, JC Horn is clearly uh, cornerback two. I think those two have analogous ceilings. Um, but Sertan is, he is, you know, a finished product already. Um, there's essentially no risk with him. What's like, I have him as the top defender in the class. Um, whereas with JC Horn, there, there are a few issues that he needs to work on, uh, to get to that level, um, and then keep going. So, um, but those are the top two guys clearly. Um, and then, uh, Caleb Farley is who I have three. Um, and mostly because of back issues, um, you know, like, Yeah, it, he he's an, like in terms of upside. Actually, he probably surpasses the other two. Like he's he's ridiculous. You know, like you know, we were talking before, like earlier about uh, you know how I like to sometimes I, you know I get into the stories in, in the capsules. And Farley's was it was too good not to to tell because. You know, early on in his college, career, he should have been a receiver. He was going to be a receiver. He he had signed there as a three-star athlete, and he showed up early. He was an early enrollee, and he just blew Justin Fuente away. You know, Justin Fuente, the offensive coach, and so they in spring ball they made him a receiver, and he cooked the uh, veteran cornerback that like the five-year starting you know cornerback Brandon Faison, if anyone remembers that name. Uh, Farley just destroyed him in, in that spring game to the point where it wasn't just getting torched. He torched him a couple times, but he also got two p uh, defensive pass interference calls a face out too like he was you know just a nightmare for him uh, and, and Farley was going to start at receiver and then he tore his ACL the, the August before that that true freshman season and when he came back uh, there was like four young Virginia Tech receivers that had emerged by that point and they had graduations in the defensive secondary part of the reason by the way that D- divine Diablo a safety in this class that he is a safety as opposed to a receiver he started at receiver as well for Virginia Tech and he got moved to safety uh, the year before and you know. Know, they had more needs back there at that point and so anyway the, farley went there and his first season um he had flashes you know like real flashes but like you know was, he also got burned a few times but a context that, that some people didn't know at the time was he had suffered a, a back injury during a sort of a freak weightlifting thing um mm-hmm. you know in in the season or sorry in the months leading up to the season and he he played through pain you know like a kid that that probably did not uh want to lose a, a second straight season out yeah. of the gate and and so he played through that you know won the you know, cornerback job is, you know, right. Having picked up the position um, and the ball skills were specifically the, 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 thing that you, you started to see right then with the athleticism. And then the next season it all um, coalesced, you know, it was just absolutely dominant. Um, and then the, 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 again, the manifestation of the ball skills, he is, he is like a rec- It's like two receiver, you know, it's like this dueling Spider-Man gift when it's him against a receiver going up for a ball. You yeah. can't tell, you know, if, if the jerseys were, you know, they were both like white, you, wouldn't be able to tell who the receiver was and who was the cornerback. That's the way that he plays the ball. Um, it, it, you know, again, it's just going back to his you know playing receiver. Um, you know, like the ball skills are. It's it's the exact same thing. And he's as big as those kids too. 6'2", He's a shade over six two, 197, Um, and he plays a little bit over two hundred pounds as well. Um, he didn't play in twenty twenty, so I, I think he, he might have lost a couple pounds before his measurements. But um, anyway, he, he's a big kid with just ridiculous athleticism um, and ball skills for days he's a cornerback that that flips the field um and when he gets his hands on the ball again it it, it becomes a punt returner or wide receiver kind of a thing he, he's not picking the ball off just just to turn the tables he he's trying
0: to get into the end zone wow so it so it's all going to depend on the team's risk tolerance with Caleb Farley
1: that you know, that's
0: for sure 100 percent
1: yeah, and and to, to Newsom, right? You brought up Newsom. The yeah. reason that I have Newsom ranked lower than um, uh, Farley, looking around, a, a lot of people have now Newsom is is, is cornerback three on, on on a heck of a lot of lists, and Farley is four. And you know, I think I think it's a judgment of you know their assessment of the risk factor. However, I I think that Newsom is just as risky as Farley. It's just that uh, Newsom's reasons for being risky are not related to health, um, but. My thing with Newsom is, uh, Newsom, he started for three seasons. His first two seasons, he was thoroughly mediocre, uh, 2018, 2019. He was, you know, at that, if he, you know, the, if they'd held this draft right after the 2019 season, he would have been a seventh round pick, uh, maybe a, even a, a priority UDFA, um, his, his PFF grades in both of those seasons over full season, I believe were under 60 flat. Uh, I think they were both in the high fifties, which is, you know, again, thoroughly mediocre, uh, tight territory. Then in 2020, he it, it, he turned into Newsome Island. Um, he he allowed less than 100 uh, receiving yards all season. Um, teams didn't test him deep. Um, and, and, and by the way, this was a part of the reason there was questions about his athleticism because Northwestern plays uh, zone. Um, Newsom did get a few snaps at, at, at press uh, man coverage, but mm-hmm. not very many. And like I said, when he did, they didn't test him deep. And so, you know, you, you know, he, he was generally in, 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 in Northwestern zone, which, you know, again, we didn't get to see the side to side movement as much and, and, and certainly running uh, the sprints down the field. So going into his, uh, his pro day, you know, th- there was questions about his athleticism. And, but by that point, because he'd had these six dominant, games during the 2020 season, he had moved up in the, the court of public opinion from basically a late seventh round type of a, a player. Um, to like 97th. If you looked at the Benjamin Robinson, he has a website called uh, grinding the mocks. I think it's called, Um, but he takes all the the mock draft data from the industry and then, you know, extrapolates where they they're on a board. And then you sort of look at it over months and it's like a, sort of like a stock ticker. Uh, Well, right before uh, Newsom's uh, pro day workout in March, you know, again, he was close to a hundred overall. Um, Basically that put him as, as, as a comp pick after the third round. And then Uh after his pro day workout, he shot all the way up to, uh, you know, whatever he is now, uh, 25 or 22 maybe now. I, I, I don't know, um, because he had, a, he had a great workout, um, you know, and he, he undertook all the tests. Some of the other top kids at corner, they, they ducked the agility drills. Uh, Newsom wanted to do them all. And he did great. So, you know, he showed like, I am, I do have the deep speed. Um, I, I do have, um, you know, the agility, the, the three cone, the shuttle was great. The, the jumps that he, he showed some explosion there. And so like, for some people, I think, you know, it's like the 2020 season. Again, he, he just didn't allow receptions at all. And then in conjunction with that, it was like, Oh my God, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta put Newsom up. And, and of course I did too. Right. Like, you know, I mean, like I, I see him as a, a late first rounder, but the reason that I, I see more risk than other people do is, um, it reminds me of the Zach Wilson situation at quarterback. The reason that I, you know, I see him a little bit differently than other people. It's with you know, in Zach Wilson's case, it was you know he was you know just average or slightly above average in, in 2019, um, and then in, in you know against a, a better schedule, and then in 2020 he was you know lit the world on fire. But uh, BYU played the number 89 uh, SP Plus schedule. Um, UCF even had some defensive backs that opted out of the bowl game, so he, he got it was a procession of very easy opponents. And that's when he leveled up. That's when he became, you know, top two, top three overall prospect. And, uh, but, but if you parse his numbers by the opponents that he played, he always, you know, just shredded, uh, shitty teams, you know, which is all he got in 2020. And when he Mm. faced good teams throughout his career, he, he played way down, um, with Newsom. Um, it's, it's not exactly that, but it's a very similar situation where again, his first two seasons, he was mediocre, uh, his third season, 2020 in only six games, First of all, he only faced one uh, NFL caliber receiver. That was David Bell in the Purdue game. Um, he knew uh, mm-hmm. some played about 12 coverage snaps uh, against Ohio State in the Big Ten title game and then got injured. And then he didn't play against Auburn in, in the bowl game. So he basically ducked any you know vestige of, of an NFL receiver, again, outside of David Bell. And then the other thing is Northwestern, you know, that that zone coverage thing, it's um, you know, in, in his own system, when you have good players around you, it becomes the, the rising tide that, that raises all boats. Northwestern had a number three uh, pass defense last year, and it wasn't just because of Greg Newsom. The kid behind him, um, the safety, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he, he turned into a he, he, we're going to be talking about him a lot, um, either in the next class or, or the class after that. He was PFF's highest graded safety. He was also their their highest graded uh, coverage safety. He picked off oh, six okay. balls in eight games. Just an absolute ball hawk behind him. And and yeah. one other p- point I'll make about this: Northwestern had a slot cornerback that no one's ever heard of. He's a low three star redshirt freshman. No nobody knows this kid's name. He had about half the snaps that Greg Newsom did playing in the slot he had a better PFF grade and a lower, uh, NFL, uh, quarterback rating allowed on targets than Greg, Greg Newsome did. I, I don't give any of this context to suggest, you know, that, 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 you know, that Greg Newsom is not a good player. And, you know, but I, I think that there's reasons to, um, you know, question that leap because that leap came against, you know, five <sighs> mediocre receivers in, yeah. in, 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 a, in a very advantageous system.
0: Yeah, so if he's sitting there at 26, you're kind of looking around and seeing what else is there too. Uh, do you think Do you think 59 is a better spot for corner? Uh, you know, to take. Uh, you know. I, or, or there's, there's obviously the option of the Browns trading up in the second round. Um, I don't know when that, when that second tier is going to go. You know, if it's the top of the second, maybe, maybe nobody knows for sure just yet until the draft happens. But, um, you know, uh, you know, is, is it better to take, uh, you know, like one of the guys from from Georgia in the second round and, and you know, develop them over the course of a, you know, a season or two, um, you know, or Just somebody else that you like versus spending a a first round pick on somebody like Newsom or, um, you know, or, or trying to trade up and get Caleb Farley when you don't know about his health.
1: Yeah. So, you know, f- for me, like, I, you know, and I know I, what I said was pessimistic about uh, Newsom, but, um, you know, I still see him as, I think I have um, uh, 23 overall, you know, it, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, I got him, you know, nine slots lower than uh, Farley or, you know, wh- whatever it is. Um, but still because of, you know, he, uh, Newsom has proven the athletic package and you do have six dominant, uh, you know, games on film of, of him in 2020. Again, I gave you the context for those games, but that that does not change the fact that you could not get yards on on Greg Newsom last year. Um, and so, you know, because of those things, the conjunction of those different things, I, I do absolutely believe that he, he's cornerback four in this class. And if, if he fell to the Browns or Farley falls, you know, if Farley falls because of the back thing, I think either of those are absolutely, you know, it's so Absolutely. Okay. exactly you know either of them would be good values at 26 however you know l- like you're sort of suggesting if both of them are gone for me it's I, you can't take a corner back there then i in my opinion I, I i don't like i like asante samuel but he has some limitations that are going to prevent him from being in certain matchups in the nfl or if if a team decides to leave him there anyway i think he, he could be in, in trouble you know against against lanky speed receivers on the outside specifically yeah um Elijah Molden is even more pigeonholed into a you know not well certainly a non boundary cornerback role but like you know he he's between a, a nickel defender kind of a guy and a safety you know sl- slot safety okay. um and so, like, you know, those guys, like, they have their place for sure. And they're very good football players, uh, both of them. But for me, uh, because of those uh, limitations, you know, that sort of capped that ceiling, like, th- they will not be number one NFL cornerback. They will not. Um, because of that, you know, I, I, I dropped them down, um, you know, just into that, that second-round tier.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So um... – one guy, you know, if, if you just want me to toss you a couple of names, if I was Cleveland, one guy that I would be, but this is if I, you know, I ran any team and I had cornerback knee, but the guy that I think is the biggest sleeper in this cornerback class, and, and this is stunning, um, I, I don't understand why why this kid is, is being slept on to this degree, is Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Uh Paulson is 2019. Uh, two, two, I'll say 2018 and 2019, two year sample. He can put that two years up against most guys in this class. Not everyone. Sertan certainly his, his you know two year peak is higher. Uh, but there's you might get one or two other names maybe. Certainly Greg Newsome ain't one. He only had a six game run. Um, yeah. Adebo so he was great you know in, in those two years. Um, and then you know he opted out that um, 2020 and he was down in uh, 2019 like in 2020. 18 he was uh, just he came out of nowhere you know he's a redshirt freshman just absolutely yeah. dominated the, the ball skills were crazy nobody's uh, talking
0: about him at all
1: yeah J- justin herbert by the way like I- i've never heard justin herbert uh, ask the question of like who was the hardest cornerback he faced in college if someone asked him that I think he might say Paulson Adebo, Paulson Adebo single. This is another thing I talked about. What have I read? It's, but Paulson Adebo. There was a game in September of 2018 that Paulson Adebo essentially single-handedly won for Stanford. Uh, Justin Herbert was in, he, he was in God mode. It was like the first time we'd seen Herbert, like, where it's like, oh my God, you know, it's just like um, he went like 23 for 25, I think in regulation. And one of the two incompletions, uh, Paulson Adebo broke up. And then in overtime, in one session of overtime, Paulson Adebo broke up three balls.
0: Um,
1: uh-huh. Yeah, just incredible, you know, against a quarterback, again, that was just absolutely in the zone that day. And so uh, Justin Herbert's last pass of that day, and I, I put in the column, because I, I really think that he had decided after the third one, I will not throw a pulse Adebo again. We would have won this game <laughs> in regular... <like, laughs> Stanford came back from like down by like 28. Like it was a wild comeback at the end. So there shouldn't have even been an overtime, but I really think that Justin Herbert was like, as long as I don't throw at him, we will win this game. And his next pass, he, he tried to force one in against a fifth year, uh, you know, redshirt senior that, that some kid no one had ever heard of. And that kid picked off his worst throw of the day, and that was it. That was the game. Um, and so, uh, you know, Paulson and Debo, it's, it, you had flashers of, of, of the high level dominance, but it was over two years, you know, a, a really good sample. And in 2018, the. Um, he, like his ball production was just absolutely stupid, you know, in, in terms of the, the balls defended, um, uh, interceptions and then, you know, ret- return yardage back and, and stuff like that, um, was just absolutely crazy. The one thing that people are concerned about him with is that season, um, he was, he had this riverboat gambler to him. You know, he was the new kid on the block and uh-huh. he, he jumped a lot of quarterbacks, you know, ju- jumped, a lot of balls, um, and then took it the other way. Um, people started to pick on him, um, the next season, um, especially early in the season where they. They saw that he would uh, bite on all the fakes, you know, and the, and the pump fakes and the double moves by the receivers, um, and so he got he got taken a couple times, you know, got got lit up deep. He started to amend his game though at, at the end of 2019, where you know it was like trying to keep as much of that explosive, you know, sort of that you you wanted to make the the risk at that point calculated, and then the whole. Um, You know, you know, things going to go up and he started to make steps, you know, in that vein, again, he, he ended up, he decided to come back to school. Um, I think in 2020, he wanted to show people like, you know, I, I can be, you know, a player that provides explosive plays for the defense while also not screwing up our efficiency, you know, keeping on, on schedule, you know, not, not taking any unnecessary risk. Unfortunately for him, uh, the COVID thing happened and and he ended up opting out Um, and he just saw his, you know, just saw himself fall beneath all of these, these different cornerbacks um, but then he goes out at his, at his pro day measures in at 6'1, 198, and size adjusted 95th percentile plus raz. Wow. And he did a full, you know, assortment of tests too. He's a burner. He moves well, it, everything explosive, the, the, the entire athletic package is there and a prototypical uh, build for, you know, an outside corner in a, in a press man scheme and the ball skills, you know, again, are just South of, of Caleb Farley in this class. Um, Gosh. but people aren't talking about him. you know, like it seems like the indictment of him just came in those first few few games of 2019 and then he didn't play in 2020 and so people just oh whatever but he is a very very high-end talented uh type cornerback and you're gonna be able to get him at a huge
0: discount on draft night wow that's great um talking safety i know you said the the safety class you know it's kind of uh what sporadic maybe (laughs) um Divine yeah. Diablo, you mentioned him earlier. First yeah. of all, a really cool name. Yes. Um, second of all, man, the guy's got size and speed, and he's only been playing a position for what two, two or three seasons. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he came over from from receiver. Guy, is he going to be around like uh, maybe in the third or fourth round? You think, or or is somebody going to take him strictly because of his potential? You know, a little higher.
1: Yeah, I I do think he will be available in. The third round, I I think he's um, he's in play to start going anywhere, like towards the end of day three and then certainly into the the start of of day four. I feel like I'm higher on him than most. And on my big board, I have him like as a really high fourth round guy. I'm one hundred and eighth on my board. The the fourth round starts at one oh six. But like, you know, I, I think maybe some others would see him more as like, you know, late fourth or early fifth. But I think that's sort of the the alley for him um and you know just your you know what you're saying about his his size and you know his athletic profile too he he tested as a sick athlete it was 80th percentile plus um he is essentially um and this is scarily so um similar to cam chancellor they went to the exact same school. They played in the exact same spot for the exact same defensive coordinator. It, it was a it was a different head coach. Uh, you know, Chancellor played played for Frank Beamer, and then uh, and that was actually the coach that uh, Divine Diablo um, that he committed to. Um, and then, but you know, then J- Justin Fuente went there and he ended up you know honoring that commitment and, and going through with it. And you know, again played the same role for Bud Foster who, who spanned both of, of of those guys or whatever. And Diablo 6'3", 226, very very similar to. Uh, Chancellor's dimensions, his wingspan is, is very similar. The the whole thing, um, and he actually tests a, a little bit better uh, than Cam Chancellor. You know, Cam, and then it was funny. Like you know, I was just you know thinking about all this stuff. Like you know, I looked up some Cam Chancellor um, uh, draft you know uh, scouting reports. You know, from from when he came out of yeah. Virginia Tech and. Um, the joke I said in my column was um, these could be copy pasted in for divine Diablo um, scouting report. It was the exact same wow. thing. You know, it's like, you know, it's like this guy's, you know, the size of an, you know, an extra, you know, small linebacker, you know, but he's got he's a got crazy wingspan, uh, you know, really good athleticism. Um, but, you know, the coverage is an issue. We, we you know, we are concerned that, you know, his, his side to side, he doesn't move as well there. We were concerned about him being exposed in coverage. Um, And then, you know, it it ended with, you know, he really ought to get – he really ought to play in a cover three system uh, in the NFL that, that will play up his strengths and mitigate his, you know, his weaknesses. And uh, Cam Chancellor, he, he was one of those prospects lucky enough to hit a grand slam. in, in terms of where he got drafted, it was the perfect yeah. situation. Divine Diablo similarly, you know, it, cause again, it's this guy who's his size is stuck between, you know, a safety and a linebacker, but he has those hybrid traits, you know, because he has linebacker trade. They played him in the box. You know, he, he can go the sideline to sideline, you know, and big wingspan, you know, the tackling, whatever. Um, but, you know, again, back in coverage um, at this point, it's, he, he can, he can do certain things. You can put him in the slot, you can have him back, but there's certain situations that you don't want him in, you know, similar to chancellor. You don't want to put him in a situation where he's going to be exposed by, especially, but I'm specifically talking about a guy, a mover in space, a twitchy guy in space. Um, but, you know, as far as a guy that can uh, drop in as a nickel defender, you know, into the slot against these bigger uh, slots, you know, that, that, that we got in the NFL these days, especially moved, tight ends that you know that's where you use them in, in the slot otherwise you know you can have them back you can bring them into the slot or i'm sorry into the box um and, and do those, those various different things with him that are very similar to what uh you know what cam chancellor gave to, to seattle
0: yeah yeah um we'll see yeah just from uh just from looking at uh really from looking at what you wrote about him and you know and some of the some of the footage you had uh um post there i'm like wow this this guy would be kind of perfect. Um, the The kind of player I would like to see the Browns take a guy, you know, a developmental guy who needs a season or two. Um, so, you know, it just so happens to be a safety, but guys like that in any position would work. So um, yeah, you, it, you've been, you've been generous with your time. I, I got two more questions. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, this is from my brother, Jeff, who's, who's a, uh, taking the, uh, the evening off. He joins the podcast quite often. Um, he wanted to know about, uh, the Browns, uh, the Browns have, uh, you know, two interior linemen. Uh, the offensive line has been a strength, but, uh, JC Treader, Joel Batonio, both, um, both are signed through the next two seasons. But, um, I think, uh, between the two of them, there's there's not a lot of guaranteed money, or, or um, you know, not, not huge cap hits, if the Browns part ways and so forth. So, um, I guess it comes down to if you were looking at an interior lineman, uh, probably third or fourth round. You know, um, who do you like as far as a developmental guy? You know, somebody the Browns could take be ready to step in for one of those two guys you know probably in in a season or two
1: so if it's back in the third or fourth round you know my assumption is, you know creed humphrey's long off the board landon Dickerson probably long off the board i assume quinn Miners would be off the board by then I, I would assume also that the the local kid david can be off the board um then it becomes like um uh, uh I don't know if he would get there, but maybe in the third. Um, Aaron Banks uh, from Notre Dame is, is a kid I like like a lot. Um, he, for a guard, he his length is very good. He's a six five kid, uh, but he's also really well built, three hundred and twenty five pounds, and he's a kid. If you look, you know, going back several years, the reliability he gave Notre Dame. Um, he's good in both uh, pass protection and run blocking. Um, he just an extremely solid player that I know is going to be able to start from day one. I don't know if he has, you know, all pro, you know, ceiling. I don't know if he's going to be a perennial pro bowler. Um, but he's a kid that I can trust right away because I've seen him do it. Um, you know, in, in big time, uh, matchups against future NFL players now for yeah. going back a couple of years, he'd be one guy if he was there. Then you have some of these. Um, Trey Smith is going to be really interesting. The kid from Tennessee. He, he was a, a really high recruit in, in his class, um, and he had a um, an issue with his lungs, like earlier on in his career. And he also had an issue with Tennessee trying to uh, play him at left tackle, where he's clearly a guard. Um, and so he had, he had issues for one season there. But his last couple of seasons, you know, and particularly this past season, um, he was very good. He's a very skilled guy. Again, another big guard, six five three twenty one, um, and his Ras score was 99th ninth percentile, ninety eighth percentile, something like that um so uh, you know the, the athleticism that uh, you know drew the the recruit nicks back in the day it, obviously it's it still stays there and then a couple other dudes um i don't know again like i don't expect these guys to fall but they're these guys both have wonky profiles and it's hard to um, like I've seen people, you know, rank them. It, it seems like split in my industry. Half, half the people rank one of them at, at guard, one of them rank, you know, a tackle. Um, they're sort of tweeners, you know, for, for different reasons. But Jackson Carmen and Alex Leatherwood, um, they were both guys that played uh, tackle in college for uh, obviously really successful programs, Clemson and, and Alabama. Um, but mm-hmm. there's there's issues with both of them. Jackson Carmen is um, he he has he's sort of he's he's a road grader, but he gets heavy feet, you know, on on, on the perimeter, uh, you know, even against guys that he saw in the, in the ACC. So I don't think he'll be able to. Certainly, left tackle is a no go. I but even for right tackle, I, I would just start that kid at, at guard. And let's the thing that you do well, you know, move the dude in front of you. That's what we want to do. Uh, if you look at Travis Etienne's uh, splits, you go back a couple years when he when he ran behind uh, Jackson Carmen when when he ran to the left side um you could add essentially 2 yards per carry it was like Jackson, you know, the, the, that's how much his, you know, and you can see it on film as well, you know, or if, you know, we're watching Clem's video you know, the million times they were on the, the last couple of years, but you can see the left side of the line. It's consistently pushed back. Right. And so ETN had, you know, and, and also a much better shot to hit the home run. You know, it wasn't just the, the freebie yards, but as far as like the cutback lanes and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, really good run blocker. That's someone that I would consider too, if he, if he drops down, cause he might, right. Like, you know, again, cause there's, there's, some some confusion about, you know, what his best fit is, etc. But if it yeah. was me, I, I'd be sitting dead red on him as a, as a round three guard if he got there. Alex Leatherwood, I, I don't love him a ton. Um, he, he's like, he's long like an octopus, you know, kind of a thing. And, and his athleticism good. He, he you know, he, he was a Ballyhood recruit as well, you know, and he played solid uh, at, at Alabama, but I see an aversion to contact with him. I, I don't love him in in the run game and his athleticism doesn't, to me, translate one-to-one to on the field uh, because if it did he would be a dominant uh pass blocker but you know with his you know in conjunction with his length and that's not what I saw. You know, I saw a guy that could get beat. So I I just sort of have to shove him into guard. Um, You know, a lot of, you know, teams might be, you know, sort of pessimistic on him to that degree too. Um, And, you know, where he can, if enough teams see him that way, um, he could become a guy that falls into, you know, round three or whatever, and a potential conversion to guard. So those would be a couple guys. Uh, Another name I'll toss out, Ben Cleveland is a great run blocker. I I like him more than Deontay Brown from Alabama, a guy who's talked about, I think a little bit more. Um, So that would be one other guy. And then just last, Lastly, if you somehow missed out on those guys, like, you know, at, at the beginning, there's there's a couple guys in the, the late area where they're, it, it's the high athleticism, but they need to be, you know, learn how to play. Uh, Sidarius Hutcherson is one from South Carolina. And another one I'll toss out is is Royce Newman. Um, he's a kid that's six five, three ten 310 from Mississippi. Um, and both those guys tested 87 percentile or above.
0: Nice. Nice. So you you can. Uh... Give me whatever you want with us, Thor, but uh, what would you see as the Browns as uh, as an ideal draft for the Browns? However, however many picks, if you want, name players or positions, uh, whatever. You know, maybe into the third round or whatever.
1: Well, probably the best case scenario for them is that either, you know, like, you know, a, a crazy scenario, like a, a huge Micah Parsons drop, you know, that probably be the the, the bonanza. Um, and, you know, it's extremely unlikely to happen, but as a Minnesota Vikings fan who once saw Randy Moss, one of the most talented receivers ever to enter the NFL draft fall to whatever the Vikings were that year, 21, because of these sort of, you know, nebulous off the field, it, it sometimes does happen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, th- that'd probably be the, the bonanza scenario. Um, I think one of those four cornerbacks getting to you, would, would would be pretty close you know in in, in the first round um, and then you know again like you know for me it, you have so few th- th- this is the nice situation to get in once you've gotten to the point that the, the Browns have where it's less of those acute needs where you essentially have a gun to your head like you know the first yeah. pick you have to take this position that, like that's sort of like the Vikings with offensive line it's almost like they have you know and everyone knows like they have to take an offensive line so, so it's a you, know, you get into a spot where you can start reaching or you know other teams can hop you because they, they know exactly what you're going to take um, the Browns aren't like that. And so, you know, the, the first round you have these, you know, two or three positions that we talked about where it's like, you know, if, if a guy from one of these drops that shouldn't be here, you know, that that's a really quick decision. Um, uh-huh. so, so, so that would be my, you know, my, my first round thing. And then after that, I, I would be going pretty close to BPA. You know, the, the Browns yeah. have a couple positions that you can take off of that where they, they really don't need anyone. But outside of that, you know, the, the other positions are fortified well enough that I, again, I don't think that you have to uh, reach for things necessarily. You can do more of a BPA thing. And that's, you know, a team like the Baltimore Ravens is what, th- that's what they've always done. And it, it manifests so well because your, your roster is always rock solid. Your it backups works. are always, you know, really good because, you know, they're, they're guys you shouldn't have gotten, you develop them up. And, you know, th- I think the Browns are, are entering that, that stage with their roster where they can start to pick like that too.
0: Yeah. You know, we, we were, uh, we, um, you know, Browns fans, I'll say not, I'm not speaking for the organization, but uh <laughs> We were in the uh, the position of having a gun to our head for uh, for probably about 20, 20 years. So so you know it's a whole new ball game uh, for the Browns coming That's into a sure. draft. Yeah, I mean uh, you know yeah, even and, and, it's just oh I'm different. sorry go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it, it's just a different feeling. I'm not sure the fans are even you know ready for this. Um, you know things to be this different to where. You're not looking at, oh, you know, I mean, like, you know, I brought up Zayvon Collins. A lot of people are in love with Zayvon Collins at 26. Well, great if that's who you think we need. But the, they need to understand that there there are probably 10 other guys that if they get to 26, it'd be a, it'd be a great
1: pick. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, being in that spot, being able to, you know, we can audible to, you know, one of these, you know, y- your net is bigger. Right. As opposed to it just being like, it, it's got to be, you know, like again, with the Vikings, it's for them, it's almost has to be the, the best tackler guard that gets here. Uh, that's what that's what we have to take, but the the Browns don't have to yeah. do that, and especially you know when when you get a little bit later on um, in this class, you know I talked before about that. I, I think there's going to be less homogenized boards around the league because the thing I was talking about, like with the eye doctor, with the you know less information, so everyone's more blurry on the prospects, so yeah. more projection yeah. is, is going on in each individual front office, right? You know, in, in setting up these boards, and so again, less homogenized boards. I, I think that's going to create a scenario where you see um you know guys falling i think more than than regular years i would say or or the opposite um of course the you know like people being surprised by a pick cuz i think this is the one more so than any year in the past as the evaluator you have to trust your ability of that transition from the knowledge that we know into, you know, what do I think he'll become? You got to jump further this year because you don't have as much information. And so again, like I I do think that there's going to be guys that we don't expect to be at X round or X pick or whatever. There's going to be more of those guys falling down. And for people that have scouted this class really well, or team, you know, we mentioned the Browns have, have excess draft capital. If if both you've, you've scouted well, and you have a little bit of uh, maneuverability and also, you know, again, the Brown going back to the Browns, about you know not being locked in on specific positions it puts you in a a really good spot um you might be able to pick off some some steals in this class later on
0: yeah so where are you going to be for the nfl draft
1: so i'll be watching uh from my my place in in minneapolis my little my little war room down here my my little room with the helmets behind me um you know I'll, i'll be watching and then uh the the first round we're doing uh for MEC sports edge we have uh um, something going on during the the draft um, will be like um, you know recording reactions and, and putting stuff out as it goes, and then afterwards uh, we're having a um, like a you know, round one uh, wrap up type show, and then you know Friday morning um, I I, I, th- I don't know if we're doing a day two mo- certainly I'm publishing a day two mock but I we you know th- there's another thing we're jumping on uh, that day that it's either a round one. Uh, wrap up or a day two mock or a day two look i'm not really sure but anyway whatever it is i'll I'll have fun with it so it's mostly just stuff like that like um you know of course i'll be watching and then you know some of these work activities around it but it's it's just super fun you know like talking about this stuff is great yeah
0: well uh thor it's been a pleasure thor nystrom at thor ku everybody you guys can check out his stuff give him a follow there uh it's uh it's been a pleasure i want you to uh enjoy this draft and you know i was thinking maybe we should have you on before you know the sunday before the draft sometime you know maybe maybe mid-year when you're not so darn busy and just kind of talk a little bit in advance of the draft class
1: (laughs) of course could definitely do that for sure That,
0: that would be cool so all right well um great talking to you and uh We're going to close up shop. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.